Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 13 with me? The Psalms express many times, most times, what we go through in almost every situation of life. I was having coffee with a guy in our church a couple weeks ago, and he said, I told him I was going to start in the Psalms, and he said, oh man, about three or four years ago I started to go through the Psalms in my devotions, and once I got through them, and he said, I found myself back in them this year. He said, that's all, that's where, it's the only place I can go. And as we look at the Psalms, there are a variety of, of times when we see that people are going through pain, and we can identify with that pain, there are around 65 psalms that would fall under the category of lament. So if you have an idea of the psalms, that's, that's a huge portion. And uh, there's a variety in there. I, I want to just hopefully help you understand this idea of lament it may be a new concept for you, but I think it's something that um, every believer should come to understand and, and participate in, and it can be a help in their walk. The idea of general lament, you may be familiar with the word, it's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. So if you look up a dictionary definition, this is what you would find, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. But when it comes to biblical lament, um, this is how the author describes it, uh, the, the book I recommended last week. Uh, this is how he defines biblical lament. It is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So we can lament often. <laughs> we can express pain and grief and sorrow. But for the child of God, God has a purpose, purpose in our lament. He wants us to go from where we are with many times an earthbound perspective and he wants us to move to an eternal perspective, a God-centered perspective. He, wa- he wants us to take us through this pathway of grief and pain and sorrow to ultimately trusting him. That's the direction that we are supposed to head. That is biblical lament. And as we look at the Psalms, there is a progression in them. The psalm we're looking at this morning, you'll see the progression as I read. If you would follow along, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries, they will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. So this idea of lament in the scripture, it it is a pathway to trust. It's an expression of trust. It typically starts with uh, an address to God. So we are praying to God. It is a prayer. But then it, it quickly leads to how we feel. 
a, and I'm putting it as, as, as best I can, a godly complaint. And there is, different, there is a difference between godly complaint and murmuring. So the, it's an expression of how we feel. It's honest. It's raw. It's authentic. But it's, it's just coming for God. This is what I'm feeling right now. A godly complaint that then leads to a request... It's the third aspect, typically in a lament. And then it closes out with an expression of trust. And so it's this struggle of prayer. Prayer when you have questions about life. uh, Prayer when you are experiencing significant pain and suffering. And we find that progression here in Psalm 13. I mentioned it was written for a choir. And I want to just remind us that it's inspired It's the inspired word of God. So some of these questions that he is asking, they're very real and and raw, and and they reflect a heart, but it falls under the inspiration of our God. And so it is here for us, and many, uh, all of the scripture is here for us, and many of the Psalms of Lament speak to that raw emotion. And so we can identify that. We don't have to be afraid of it. It's written by David, and he is a key figure in the Old Testament. David went through a variety of trials in his life. And he asked the question in this psalm four times. How long? How long? How long? How long? And you may be asking that question. When you look at the scriptures, there are many times where we see trials that they, they really last a long time for people. Now, we don't know exactly when David wrote this and when he was specifically speaking about his adversaries. He talks about his enemy. We don't know when the trial was in his life. And it's interesting that we don't know that because that tells us a lot about his life. His life actually was full of them. So at, very, at many different seasons of his life, he could have written this. If you know a portion of the Old Testament, there's a long story about a man named Saul who was a king. David was a younger guy, and he was coming up. He was promised to be king. Saul got jealous, and Saul actually wanted to basically kill David, and so He had a real adversary for many, many years, a trial of a person actually wanting to kill him. This could have been the situation. He also had a son that was a huge problem in his life named Absalom, and there was a huge trial in his family that this could have been the season. There were many seasons of trial in David's life. You possibly can identify with that. Sometimes you don't know which one was the hardest. I mentioned a little bit, and throughout this series, I'm just going to drop little pieces of information. I, I thought about telling my whole story, um, but I, I decided not to do that. I'm just going to take in, in moments here and there and, and speak. But about eight years ago, our family really had a great desire to adopt a child. <clears throat> we, uh, it's hard to even know how many details to share, but when we first got married, God took us through a season of infertility, and, and we couldn't have children. And we developed a heart for adoption during those years, and, and we almost adopted there, the, during those years, and then God started to give us children. 
And, uh, but through the years, we always had a heart for adoption. And um, I have always wanted to adopt a child. And my wife, as I mentioned earlier, is very compassionate to the needy and, and caring. And so as a family, we had made a decision that we would pursue this. And we looked at a variety of different countries around the world where there were needs for orphans. And so we kind of set our sights on the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we were in the full process of adopting a child, a little boy. And we named him, actually. We were given guardianship of him. We saved uh, and spent about $20,000, which at that time in in life was uh, over a third of my salary. And my wife was uh, home with the kids at the time. And, and, And there was this expectation, really this desire that we thought was going to be fulfilled, that had really been going on for a very, very long time. And, and we went through the process. We were about three months before we were to bring, um, we actually named him Clay. Uh, we were going to bring him home. And he ended up uh, not being able to come because there were reports of abuse with some adoptions that took place here in the United States. And the country literally just shut the doors. And they said, really in a couple days, they said, no more adoptions. It's not happening. And and so we found ourselves in a place where it was like, Lord, what is is this? We had, the scripture says to care for the orphan. We we wanted to care for a child and, and we wanted to provide a home for gospel purposes. And we saved, and, and we prayed, and we sought you, and then it was over. So eight years ago, that happened, and, and from that moment, it started a ripple effect of other very significant <clears throat> I've never told that story, by the way. started one trial after another in our family. Most of them we've never spoken of. But this summer, as I had time to evaluate, really zero back to first disappointment. Now, eight years has seemed like a really long time. But from God's perspective, he operates on his timetable. He has purposes that we don't know and understand. And David, here, is at a place where I would call it spiritual depression, severe discouragement. In fact, in 1 Samuel 27... At one point, he, he came to the conclusion, now, one day I will perish by the hand of Saul. Like, he was convinced of it. Now, this is after God had promised him that he would be on the throne. But sometimes in life, you can get so earthbound in your perspective that even though you know the promises of God, and you know God is a covenant-keeping God, 
your, your mindset is still so earthbound, you don't believe anything else. And we find here in David this place where he is extremely frustrated. Now, I had this really good outline. It was, there were sentences, and, and, and then I read, and I saw someone's really simple, and I'm like, that's better, so I'm going to use theirs, because <laughs> it really doesn't matter. I would rather you remember it. So it's three simple points. Frustration, fear, and faith. The starting point in verses 1 and 2, we see David is frustrated. He says there, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? See, the temptation is to have a temporal perspective or mindset in trials. What I mean by temporal? Earthbound. Like, it's, we don't see it from God's perspective. We see it just simply from a human perspective. What, what we can feel, what we can taste, what we can experience. That's the temptation, is to, to really focus in on the here and now. It's really temporary. It's, it's just what is before us. And the trial in David's life seems to be going so long that, that he is simply in his prayer, authentic, real prayer to God, asking him, when is this going to end? When will it be over? What causes these kinds of feelings in a person's heart? I just want to talk about three quickly here, actually four. Number one, I would say unfulfilled desires. Unfulfilled desires. I wanted it. God refused it. So, you know, when you, when you talk even about an adoption, and you, if you've ever been through that process, you know, you know what it's like. And the excitement, and, and, and then the disappointment. Maybe it's, it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's something, a person that, that you had in your life. Maybe it was your spouse, and you lost your spouse. And you understand it's the way the world works. It's, it's the way God designed it. But that hole in your heart is so empty. Maybe it is a child, the loss of a child, or even the relationship with a child. Maybe it's another person in your life there was a time in my life where I, I had a very, very close friend, a best friend, for years. And in moments, a circumstance came into my life. And this is one of the things in the eight years. And, and literally, he just turned on me and he was gone and has not spoken to me since. Sometimes you, you had something or you had a desire and, and it was gone. And, and it was a, a good, godly desire. Sometimes it's something with us physically that we wanted, and God said, no, maybe you want to sing better, and you just, you've taken the lessons, and you just can't get the solo spot. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's a position at work. You've tried for years and years, and you've worked, and, and you've gotten to the place where it should be yours, and because the way the world works, they're going to find the younger. They're going to find the person who's different from you. There's go, they're going to pay less. 
And, and it's hard. Unfulfilled desires many times can bring us to places where we start to feel and think things. Unexpected loss, maybe you had it and God removed it. It was something that you had. Disappointments can be similar things along these lines. Life situations that come up that are less than ideal. You had an expectation of how it was going to go and then it went the opposite. Many times with, with children, that's what you think, right? You, you watch them grow up and you, you, you try to point them to truth and encourage them in truth. And, and then, you know, as you watch them make choices in life, you realize, wow, this is not how I wanted it to play out. This is not the narrative that I saw in my mind 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And some of you in this audience, you have been praying for children for 30 plus years. disappointments. And then with all of these things, sometimes we just become hopeless. There's hopelessness where we literally don't see an end. And that's where David is writing. And that's where the lament begins. At a point of hopelessness. Will you forget me forever? His thoughts in verse 1 are of abandonment. He literally thinks the Lord has forgotten him. Now, he know, like he knows who God is. God can't forget. It's not possible. But in these times of hardship and difficulty, when we get to the place of hopelessness, we, we feel like he has abandoned us. We, we sense a lack of personal concern with our God. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? He lacks a sense of personal care from God. So God's thoughts are not with him and God's care is not with him. Is that true? Absolutely not. Does he feel it? Yes, he absolutely does. He feels abandoned by God. His strength is gone. His endurance is spent. And he is simply just complaining from a godly perspective, to God, where are you? I feel like you have forgotten me, and I feel like you do not care about me anymore. Is that possible? No. Let me read this promise from Isaiah to you. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Israel says that. This is the response. From God, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me. That's the word of our God today to his people, to you, to me. I will not forget you. And I'm trying to even envision what the rest of that verse says. It says, it's literally the idea, I have tattooed on my hand. That's God speaking. Your name. I've engraved you on the palm. And I'm thinking, how big are God's hands? Those of you who are against tattoos, this may be something for you to consider. (laughs) Just saying. I'm kidding. But that's literally the word. God says, I will not forget you. 
I will be with you. So when we think and feel abandoned, discouraged, we go back to what we know. David, as we continue here in verse 2, his feelings are of discouragement. He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? This is a dangerous place to be. Take counsel is literally seeking human wisdom, but he, he, he feels like he has nowhere else to go but within himself. And let me tell you, friend, self-talk is not good talk if it does not include the scripture. Self-talk can be good if it's saturated with truth. But when you get to the point where it's your own heart that you're taking counsel from, let me encourage you, don't do it. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Our hearts are depraved. We, we do not want to take counsel. We do not want human wisdom. The solution to your problems, it's not found in your heart. And that's the temptation because when we go through hard times, we want to isolate, which is one reason why I wanted everyone to come up here and say, you know what? I love this community of faith enough that I can say confidently, I am struggling, I'm going through a hard time. Because isolation does not help anyone. That's why I'm such a proponent of biblical counseling. Because it's helping one another in times like this. And we have biblical counselors trained, those who are going through the training, who every week, it happened this last week, I sat in on a biblical counseling uh, situation where a lady in our church is going through the training, and I watched her, and in my mind, I'm like, Jay Adams was right. He, everyone is competent to counsel. And if you're a follower of Christ and you know the truth, you can speak into other people's lives. When you get to the point where you want to take counsel in your own soul, let me encourage you, do not do that. Run to the word, run to someone who you can speak to and help. It's been helpful for me even this summer. We need the truth to be our counsel. We don't want to find in human wisdom the answers to our problems. He continues to talk about his his, his discouragement by saying he experiences sorrow all the day. These feelings are not going away for David. He's in a season where that's all he feels. And he is struggling in this prayer. God, how long will I feel this way? When will I be okay again? Sometimes God does not answer that question. Now he brings us out of it. Maybe for a season, maybe for time, and into another one. I I don't know. It's different for each person. But the place where David finds himself sorrowing all the day, and then he's so discouraged that he literally feels like his enemy could be exalted over him. And we understand probably from the context in these situations of David's life, it probably was a real enemy like Saul or Absalom. There was a physical threat where he thought he would actually die, perhaps by their hand, or if you continue on, it says uh, that he would sleep the sleep of death. He probably was at a point of such exhaustion from the trial where it was like he was just at the end. The discouragement was so heavy for him. Now, I would suggest after frustration, we see fear. Just simply in verse 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. 
And my enemy will say, I have overcome them, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. This second part of the lament typically moves to a request. And the request comes in, in, in a way where it's like, God, look at me. You know, sometimes with young children, they get so distracted and they have all kinds of things. And you're trying to communicate what your will is for them. And sometimes you need to take their face and just kind of like put your hands right there and look at me. Now, flip that around. <laughs> and in a respectful way, I don't think a, a way that would be demeaning towards God in any way. But he's literally saying, God, consider me. Look at me. I need to hear from you in this moment. There is an intensity about this request because I think he went from that inward look of frustration to the outward look of of really his circumstances. And many times that's where we end up going from the inside. We go outside and we look at everything that's wrong and we start looking at everything that is stacked up against us. And we start to believe things with fear and anxiety. And this is where anxiety can settle into a heart when it's so discouraged. And, and it, it, it's, it's so hard that we can start to fear. And David is literally fearing that he potentially will die. The exhaustion is so great. We have other examples. Elijah was at a place in his life where he was so discouraged after a huge victory. He got to the lowest point in his life. And the angel of the Lord, you know what the angel of the Lord did? Gave him something to eat and drink and let him sleep. That was the ministry of the Lord. I talked about trying to fix people. And sometimes there's a whole spectrum of ways that we can help and encourage folks. Now, I'm always for centered on truth. But, but can I encourage you, don't, don't try to fix the people who are here. God's the fixer. But be, be someone who is present and who loves in their lives. Because there's a temptation to fear. David then thought, literally, his adversaries were going to take him. That that would be the end. And his fear then drives him to really not be concerned about his own reputation. But I think the fear is that they will say that that, that God didn't win here. God, consider, look at me. Because if you take me out, the enemies are going to rejoice. They're going to think that they have exalted over me, which is really exalting over you. Fear, anxiety, These are the things that we see. He says, oh, Lord, my God, there is a personal relationship. Oh, Jehovah, my God, look at me. Looking inside is not the answer. Looking at our circumstances is not the answer. Trying to manipulate our situation to solve our problems and try to fix things, not the solution. What we see here in this text is that God wants us to, again, run to him with an upward look. That's the best way to say it. Really, he wants faith in our lives. And we see the the movement in David's heart from verse 1 to verse 5. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. And, And this is probably just 
one moment of time that we caught David where he's not doing well and, and then he turns to truth and he's encouraged. And perhaps he woke up the next day and he had to do the whole thing all over again. That's typically how it goes when you're in a season like this. Or maybe it's a couple times during the day. You start low, you focus on truth, and God brings you to a place of trust, and then all of a sudden you're back where you started and you've got to go back to trust again. But that's the direction God wants us to head over and over and over. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. And this is that hesed from, from the Hebrew, that, that loving kindness, the mercy of God. God is a covenant-keeping God. And David remembers that God has proven himself to his people time and time again. He keeps his promises. So David makes a personal choice. I will trust in you. This is a a choice of trust. And then he says, my heart shall rejoice. Brother, sister, sister. Trust me when I say, (laughs) I understand it's not easy to get here. But sometimes you have to tell your heart, I will trust in my God. And I shall rejoice. Because we are to rejoice in all circumstances. That's not an option. That's a simple command. So when you're feeling... Abandoned, discouraged, like the hand of God has been removed from you, his personal look and his personal care is gone, and the circumstances are stacking up over and over and over. You must, I must, we must choose to trust. I have trusted in your loving kindness. I shall rejoice in your salvation. God, you are the redeemer. You have redeemed me. You are the deliverer. When we draw close to God, it promises us in the scripture that he draws near to us. And so in our lament, in our feelings of depression and discouragement, We acknowledge God. We don't give him the silent treatment like like I mentioned last week. We don't isolate. We don't run from him. We run to him, and we run to him with our honest evaluation about life, our real, raw thoughts. God, how long is this going to go on? Why do I feel abandoned by you? And as we run to him and bring our requests, God, come back to me. Let me feel your presence again. Remind me of your truth. Our faith rises. We increase our faith as we draw nigh to God. So that is the answer. We don't run from him. We run to him. And that's the progression that David does here. And in other psalms that we have and potentially will look at, we see the movement toward God My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing. That's what we're going to end today. We're going to sing a couple songs. We did that purposely because we are going to sing to our God. Because we have been reminded about how good he is.
and that he will not forget us. And that his presence is always here even though we don't feel it. David says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I have trusted, I shall rejoice. My eyes are off myself. My eyes are off my circumstances. They are directly on my God, exactly where they should be. And so my proper response is to praise him. Praise him from a heart of trust, a heart of contentment that can rejoice, and a heart that is willing to sing. So for those who perhaps will go home today to an empty house, maybe it's an empty bed, and that represents the spouse you lost. Maybe it represents an empty child or a child that is no longer there. An empty room, perhaps. Maybe it's an empty workspace. A classroom where you as a student go to school every day, but you feel completely alone. There's people all around, but you feel all alone. Where, wherever you find the emptiness, wherever you feel the hurt and looking at and thinking about the people across this stage, I could give you one scenario after the other, multiple scenarios. And these, our friends, could testify of them today. So we're going to stand and we're going to rejoice here in a moment and we're going to sing to our God, but we know that we're going to go home to the same problems. But hopefully our perspective has changed. Or we've been encouraged to keep on with the perspective that we've been fighting for. And it's literally a fight in our souls. Run to him in lament. You know, I was thinking yesterday as I was just meditating on these thoughts, and I was like, for the person who has no trials right now, I still think the process of lament can be applied to the smallest of disappointment in life, and we all experience those. So I was thinking, if you, as a person who perhaps is not in a season of trial, started to lament before God on the little things, what you probably would do is build a pattern of prayer in your life that when the big things came, it would be your natural response. Lament is a very important part, I think, of prayer. You know, Jesus criticized the the Pharisees for their long prayers and their long... This is literally six stanzas. God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I'm a mess. I feel it. I feel like you're gone. God, look at me. Come back to me. Because it seems like everything's going to be coming to an end. I trust you. I rejoice. 
and I will sing. Bam. And maybe that's all you got. My friend, it's enough. It's enough. If it brings you to the point of trust, it's enough. Because the scripture tells us in Romans 8, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit is praying for us. So we have the Spirit living inside of us, taking care of all of our shortcomings, all of our lack of communication. So wherever you are in the spectrum, would you consider these days as we spend time in this portion of Scripture about lament, would you consider applying this to your everyday walk with Jesus? Godly complaint bringing your request before the Lord and an expression of trust. And that's what biblical lament does. It takes us from where we are and what we're feeling in pain and suffering to trust in our God. And even if it's just the simple phrase, God, I will trust you, it's enough. Because it represents a heart that believes God and who he is. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we run to our God again? I trust that as the Scripture has spoken for itself today. This scripture was sung to us. We read it out loud. Feeble attempt at trying to explain it. You have moved, hopefully, in your heart with the psalmist. Or you say, this is my heart. I'm lamenting regularly and I want to keep lamenting. Because it helps me know what to do with what I'm feeling what I'm experiencing. Perhaps this week, Psalm 13 would be your your go-to place to just set up a pattern of lament in your prayer time. And friend, who is in that season, you're not alone. Your God will not forget you. He loves you. He is there. He has wonderful purposes. So you can trust him. You can trust him. Our God, so many times we we feel this way. We, We say how long the days morph into months and years and it seems like the season just doesn't end and we're flesh, and we're selfish, and we want to look inside, and we want to look at our circumstances, and we want to complain, and murmur, and find our hope in this world, and our satisfaction here and now. But God, help us to be a people who, in the midst of all of this, everything that we're experiencing and feeling, we run to you. Thank you that you did not leave us alone, but you specifically revealed to us even this passage this morning as a pattern for us to follow 
And even if we need to follow this pattern multiple times a day, this is what you desire for our lives. So as we conclude our time of corporate worship today, God, I pray that you will stir up within us hearts of faith that trust you, that rejoice in your salvation. God, we need you. We need you during these days of hardship and pain. Thank you, God, in your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.